0: With this diagnosis of ARVC, and obviously the condition is hard, every day it affects me. But it's it's dealing with the lack of invincibility. I was always invincible, and now I'm suddenly not.
1: I'm Sholmene Griffiths, Chief Executive of the British Heart Foundation and host of this special series of podcasts celebrating 60 years of pioneering research into heart and circulatory disease. As part of this series, I wanted to speak to some of our ambassadors and VIP supporters to learn more about their own personal health journeys and how the BHF's research has played a role in transforming or even saving their lives or those of loved ones. In today's episode, we meet James Taylor, former captain of the England cricket team and now a successful pundit, selector and scout. James is also an ambassador for the British Heart Foundation. James, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you very much. Lovely to meet you first and foremost, and thanks so much for having me on the podcast today. You guys do such amazing work, so it's a treat to be an ambassador and want to speak to you today as well.
1: Oh, the feeling's very mutual, James. Um, I really look forward to having some time to hear about your story and a bit more about your experience as well. So I wonder if I can invite you to perhaps take us back a little bit and take us back to 2016, perhaps before your diagnosis, and tell us a little about what was going on in your life.
0: Yeah, so I was I was living my best life, shall we say. I was um, on top of the world. I was playing international cricket. It had been a long journey to get there. I'd worked incredibly hard. So many people, it wasn't just me that worked incredibly hard to get there. It was all the, the people along my journey that helped me and pushed me in the right direction as well so yes it was me doing it but there was a lot of people behind the scenes helping me so i was kind of just at the pinnacle of the sport playing international cricket traveling the world like i said living my best life um and i was just cementing my spot in the side i'd played however many uh i played 20 odd odis one internationals on the bounce for england i'd played five test matches on the bounce for England, so i was just really cementing my spot um in the side and then uh I'm doing a lot of fitness work because if I wasn't playing cricket, I loved my fitness and my strength and conditioning and one for my ego and to look as good as I could with my top off, but mainly (laughs) um, as an international sportsman um, you need to do everything off the field. So when you go on the field, your life's made a lot easier. Um, so yeah, I, I love the fitness side of it and as we'll go into it, I believe, and I'm sure it probably helped save my life. Um, being so fit and being in the shape I was in, uh, when, uh, things went south.
1: Well, clearly your, your love for the game show shines through as well as, uh, your, thank you for sharing a little bit about your personal motivations for staying fit there <laughs> as well, but, um, perhaps why don't we come to it? Tell us a little bit about your diagnosis and what happened. Talk us through it if you wouldn't mind, James.
0: Yeah, I will give you a very brief description of what happened because it was a very long winded story. It, it happened actually. It, it was just over five years ago. It happened early on. I think it was the 6th of April. It's terrible that I forget that day, but it was the 6th of April, I think. Um, So just over five uh, years ago, I was at Cambridge. It was Ironically, the first game of the season, um, I'd previously had the longest period off that I'd ever had in my career. I probably took 10 days to two weeks off, which to most people doesn't sound a lot. But for me, that's a long time because I love picking up a bat, learning, trying to get better at my sport and my craft. And so I took a bit of time off. Then I went into the first game of the season. And then I think it was the second day of the game in Cambridge against Cambridge Universities um that's when things went horribly wrong initially i thought it was just in the warm-ups about ten thirty a.m i i thought that i had just bad anxiety like the feelings of pains in your chest and nerves but these were excessive like heart palpitations your heart flying through the roof and i could physically see my shirt my heart beating through my shirt, which is never, never a good sign. Um, and that's when I knew, and I said it to the guy, I, I, I swore in the phrase that I said, I swore and I said how bad my heart was. Um, and that's when I walked off the field. And uh, at 10.30 a.m. was the first and probably only time I thought I was going to die. I, um, I just wanted it to end. I needed those feelings that I had in my heart and how mental my heart was going i just needed it to stop um so that was that was just a weird sensation that i've never felt i've never passed out before i've never wanted to pass out or felt like i was going to pass out on this occasion i did i stuck my head down the loo of the toilet and tried to be sick i couldn't right. uh, i couldn't breathe at this point um and i just wanted to it to end and pass out long story short i got put on oxygen and then um the, the red herring in this whole process was that, to, to try and make me feel, we were trying to conjure up an idea of what was going on, and the, the physio at the time, I didn't have a doctor there, the physio at the time gave me a sugary drink, and that made me feel a little bit better, or what I thought made me feel a little bit better, so they thought it was low blood sugar, they thought it was a virus, and these were all just red herrings, um, taking us down a different path that we didn't need to go down. Um, and I got put on oxygen I felt a little bit better but still imagine the worst hangover you've ever had in your life times 10 this is what I'm feeling no matter what position I got into I couldn't get comfortable um, cut a long story short uh, we organized a doctor's appointment because I was still in a world of bother here Um yep. for 6 p.m. the earliest doctor's appointment we could get was 6 p.m. in Nottingham bearing in mind I'm in Cambridge I'm in no fit state to drive do anything I knew I was in a bad way, so and I knew I needed to get out of there. So I ditched everything. I ditched my car, I ditched all my clothes, all my belongings, because it's a four day game in Cambridge and got shifted and driven to Nottingham. And basically I should have really I I should have died during that journey back to Nottingham, but somehow I was in a, a good enough place and my heart was obviously in a good enough place to be able to withstand why. Uh, withstood um, and yeah then I got taken into hospital six hours later or well, a few hours later um, after the doctor told me not to wait for him because by now I'm getting chest pains I'm being sick everywhere uh, sorry uh, shoulder pains which is a sign of a heart attack I thought this is weird because I haven't been to the gym for a few days um, and then uh, I told the doctor this these symptoms and he said don't wait for the ambulance it will be quicker to go straight in my mum yeah. and my wife took me um and yeah that's that's when the doctors hooked me up to the machines and i'll never forget their eyes and their faces and their expressions when they hooked me up and the noises that the machines were making i used to watch casualty a lot when i was younger so you kind of you go into those rooms where the action happens and every, all the doctors are running around that's where i was and these this is where the the machines were making these most horrific sounds of my heartbeat and so when they plugged me up, the noises were extraordinary. My heart rate was going at two hundred and sixty-five beats per minute, but also out of rhythm. So um, that yeah, that was not in a good place. They they were they were seconds away from putting me to sleep and like and shocking me back into rhythm. Uh, but the drugs that they gave me uh, eventually worked, and I went from straight from 265 beats per minute to uh, 60 beats per minute, and then again I was sick everywhere because obviously my body's just been through so much. Um, so yeah, and that that's that was the first phase of realizing how serious this was. And they said I'd done the equivalent of five to six marathons on the bounce. That's what my body had done through that prolonged period of time. Uh, and what my heart had gone through Um, so yeah that was the first kind of initial seven six seven hours of my life as I knew it being over and at the time I'm the most positive guy in the world and I thought I'm I'm still going to be fine in my head I had Sri Lanka so England because I was in the test team playing cricket for England in three weeks time or so England were playing Sri Lanka and I train my whole life to be where I was playing cricket for England. And I wasn't just going to give it up for nothing. And I said to the doctor, as soon as I went into hospital, I said, it's fine. Just get me ready for three weeks time and it will be fine. And, and then obviously it didn't pan out because I realized how serious and I was, how fortunate I, I was to, to survive what I did go through.
1: And that must have been really scary. You mentioned your wife and your your mum were there, and and family must have been uh, really scared for you as well. So I'm sure it's affected them profoundly as well. I can tell from everything I know about you and speaking with you how positive you are, but you must have had one mind on your family around you as well.
0: Yeah, uh, but as a as a sportsman, you're quite single-minded, and I don't mind. I'm a far more. I was pretty. I did have a good perspective on life for an international sportsman, but now I'm I've got a greater perspective on life and I was quite single-minded. So naturally I'm thinking about surviving at the time, but as time goes on, I was so it makes you realize how lucky you are to have good people around you. Yes, my family, I kind of take that for granted because I I hope that would be the case, but my wife, she, so she was my girlfriend at the time. We'd been together a long time, but now my Mm -hmm. wife, she was incredible. For example, the sacrifices she took. uh, She's a teacher. She took a term off work to be my carer. uh and she's made so many sacrifices um al- along the way to help me like she i was very lucky i was- in the hospital for three weeks and she um, was only outside the room my hospital room for six hours in those three weeks they let her sleep in the same room on the, on a camp bed which is incredible <laughs> one incredible from the nurses and the doctors but good from her uh, the first day i let her sleep on the floor i gave her a pillow i'm very generous uh, so i gave her a pillow and she slept on the floor and then they gave her a camp bed but the, so she went she was only away for six hours and that was just to make me food and bring it back oh. Um, so she, she, she's a a rock. And I think that is very important to have those good people around you. And I was very fortunate, not just my wife and my family, but I was one of them when people were in hospital and somebody said, Oh, do you want to go and see so-and-so in hospital? I was like, No, I'm all right. Thanks. I always shied away from it because it's not an hospitals aren't deemed to be nice places, are they? Uh, But the savior was I had so many visitors. It was unbelievable. And that really got me through those tough times. Seeing friendly faces, even people that you didn't know as well, but they took the time to come and see you because it meant a bit to them uh, Mm. was incredible. And that really helped.
1: Do you know, I know so many people listening to this podcast will empathise actually so so many people who are friends and supporters of the British Heart Foundation have, have had their own journeys and, and have just valued the support of loved ones and friends around them. Mm-hmm. So I know that will really resonate with people. Now, um, perhaps I come a little bit, if you don't mind, just to the condition. So I know the condition that you actually were diagnosed with and have was, was actually quite rare, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. So if I pronounce this right, James, correct me if I don't, <laughs> arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy or ARVC for short. So that's a, quite a rare condition. So tell me a little bit about perhaps the moment of your diagnosis. And also, as you said, how that felt, given the fact you were very single-minded about getting me out again in three weeks, that must've been a really difficult moment. So tell me a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, it, it was incredibly difficult. Like I said, I dedicated my whole life really to, initially it was just playing ball sports and whether it was football, rugby or cricket, I was going to be a professional sportsman in my mind. That was all I knew. And it, Throughout the journey, it took me to cricket and so many sacrifices along the way being also being one of the best players in the world. Like that's what you've worked your life for. And when that gets taken away from you, that is, yeah, it's incredibly hard because you've lost your earnings and your life, what you know, but that's the biggest ego dent. That was probably the hardest thing when you're used to being the best and being that professional international sportsman walking down the street and you're not that anymore It is. it's quite hard so you have to get over that very quickly and that was probably the hardest thing and and with this um with this diagnosis of arvc and obviously the condition is hard every day it affects me um but it's it's dealing with the lack of invincibility i was i was always invincible and now i'm suddenly not and i was so fragile i was so ill after it initially hit me that's why also I it took me a bit of time to get over ARVC is it's for those that don't know what that is they might know a more global case in Fabrice Mwamba anybody that says what have you got I go well do you know the footballer Fabrice Mwamba the one that effectively died on the pitch and uh, I've got the same as him it affects me every every single day uh, like people don't know for example I can't lie on my left side when I initially get into bed because I feel my heartbeat and my regular heartbeat all the time. I second guess jogging across the road because I don't wanna raise my heart rate because when I raise my heart rate, that's when it gets dangerous. I don't have caffeine, I can't drink too much. Um, There's so many things, you're always second guessing everything. But at the end of the day, I know how fortunate I am to be alive and and I live a great life uh, and I know how lucky I am.
1: My goodness. Well, thank you for being so honest and sharing that and and also describing what it's like right now for you today as mm. well. So you've talked about some of the limitations, like thinking about running across the road and sleeping on your left side. So can you exercise? What's the advice for you at the moment? What, and what do you because you clearly love it as well. So what do mm. what do you enjoy?
0: yeah so I so I was I, like I said I was really ill that first year it took it takes you a lot of time to it's a new body it's a completely new body I, I have obviously I've had an op, I've had a couple of one minor operation one major operation um, and that takes a little bit of getting over it itself uh, and that affects the heart in certain ways but I was just really ill full stop um and once i got over that and i learned my new body and i learned what i can and can't do um that helps and it's just gaining your confidence again it's so funny because i was super confident in my body as an international athlete and then you have your insecurities also as an international athlete Uh, but one thing i was so confident was my body it's flipped on its head now i'm i'm really confident in myself because i know myself really well and i going through everything. I've learned a lot, but now I'm really uh, insecure about my body and how it works. So it's funny how it's flipped on its head. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it, I lead a good life. Uh, even though I have these issues day to day, I lead a very, very happy life and I can, I can exercise and I'm gradually exercising more and more because I'm, I'm learning my limitations. I'm learning my boundaries. And also my body's getting used to the way it is now which helps.
1: And it must've been a shock to your teammates as well, because you, you guys must be really closely knit. You've been, you know, training and working together so much. So just tell me a bit about that and what that dynamic was like.
0: Yeah, it was funny because I, I hid this from everybody for a week. Um, so when I was in hospital, I hid it from, uh, most of my teammates, obviously the, the team needed to know because I was meant to be playing a game and, and when Yes, this is going to sound weirdly confident. But as an international sportsman, when you're not playing in a game in a domestic game, people know you're not playing in a game. So it was so the club had to make an excuse to say I was ill. That's the reason why I wasn't playing. And um, so I hid it from everybody for a week. And that's why once I was in hospital for a week and then I got the official diagnosis. It, well, it got a little bit clearer that the ARVC was what it was. Um, that was why I'd hit it for a week and I'd hid it from everybody, the world for a week bar very close friends um, or even close friends bar family and the people that needed to know. And then that's why I was, again, my single mindedness, I was like, right, I'm getting on with the rest of my life. I'm retiring now, even though they said maybe just, wait a little bit i'm like right i'm moving on with the rest of my life we're getting the statement out and my agent and the chief exec got together and drafted the statement in an hour and then it was out and and then like the rest then i then it got out into the news and it was it was it, i got the ego boost i needed to because it was like i died it sounds really funny but if you if you ever wanted if i ever wanted to know what it was like to die i saw it like because of the outpouring of emotion like your insecurities run wild sometimes and i when i was lying in bed occasionally i think if if i do die i'm fully fit bearing in mind if i do die i wonder if anybody's going to miss me and i died on that day when i retired and it was just exactly what i needed i was really low i was down and the outpouring of emotion from yes people i knew but Social media can be a really dark place and brutal as a sportsman, but I got the best of social media. It was incredible. Uh, I got 24 million uh, mentions or notifications about me in the first two hours of it being announced. Um, and and Then, obviously, for the next uh, couple of days, it really got me through those. Probably the toughest days um, were after I had to retire, and it got me through those few days just reading those posts and replying to them because you don't read social media that much when you're playing so to read it it was it was exactly what I needed to Um, I know that I kind of went a little bit around the houses to your question there but um, it was funny that first week just hiding it from people and then again my single-mindedness I knew what I needed to do and I knew that I needed to move on with my life so that's why once I got that diagnosis I got the ball rolling to move on with the
1: rest of my life So I get such that sense from you of drive and purpose. So how did you even start to think about what next? So you've kind of, you've written your statement and I'm so delighted you got the outpouring of love and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad to hear that how much that meant to you, my goodness. But how did you even begin to start to think about what next?
0: And that that's, again, the, the insecurities of life. When you've done something all your life and that's taken away from you. I And I was only 26. Like, as a sportsman, you have people pushing you in certain directions and preparing you for the rest of life. But I'm 26, I'm at the start of my career and I'm playing in international cricket and I'm fit. I'm expecting to play until I'm 40. I'm one of those guys that I'm believing I can play for when I'm 40. So I've got a long time to go to prepare the rest of my life and life after cricket. So I'm I'm glad I didn't prepare because I threw everything at what I was doing. Um, So nothing was taken away from my goal to be as good as I could be. I was very, very lucky. From everything I learned from cricket, Coping mechanisms. That honestly, I was in as good a place over the last five years as I could have ever been. Um, and it, it, the whole way through, yeah, it's tough knowing. Yeah, of course, there were tough moments when you're not invincible anymore. Um, but it was, it, yeah, I was lucky that I learned a lot from learned a lot from cricket, and I had good people around me. But number one was my agent because he pushed me in down avenues that I was never going to go down. I was never going to go into media. I thought I can't string a sentence together. I'm not going to be talking (laughs) on the radio for hours. I'm not going to be talking on TV. Nobody wants to see me. Um, But then I did two years in the, I commentated for the test match special. I did uh, five live. I did, um, Sky, I did BT Sport, Uh, I did so many great things that I was never going to do because somebody knew me and they pushed me in the right direction Um, and he was outstanding so along with my my family my friends my agent and my wife were the two strongest best people in my life at the time Uh, pushing me, helping me, hugging me when I needed a hug but just driving me forward and it was so those guys my agent Luke Sutton, what a lovely lovely man and super experienced in life and knowledgeable in what he does and the care for human beings was massive and just what I needed as well as my wife
1: absolutely oh what, what a lovely thing and we all need a bit of a hug as well as a bit of a nudge sometimes yeah you know? exactly I can sense how important they both of them are in your life my yeah. goodness mm-hmm. so James clearly you've been involved in selection involved in scouting you clearly love it tell me a little bit about it and what you're looking for in people
0: yeah so I I love it I once I'd so after everything that happens and the experiences you go through life i only want to do things that i enjoy and that i feel i'm good at and can make a difference at and um the selection was brilliant um being involved in selection was outstanding and scouting and um just i trying to identify talent and people that can have a positive impact in games for English cricket. And that's what I'm doing. And I'm at the helm of trying to find those people. And it's really good fun. I'm, again, still involved in the game that I'm super passionate about. And I love, ultimately, if you didn't like the game of cricket and watching it, you certainly couldn't do the job I'm doing because all I do, my number one <laughs> purpose, is to watch shed loads of cricket. And I love it, it's brilliant. And and it's what I know as well. I could have gone down a an avenue that I didn't know so well and try and learn A completely new skill set but equally I thought I might as well do something I can have a real impact in and use my knowledge and expertise to help and make a difference and doing what I'm doing now I believe um, I'm doing a decent job but I've got great people around me Um, obviously we're number one in t20s number one in ODI cricket and getting better and better at test cricket which is ultimately the hardest format um and the longest most draining and most skill is required i believe in the longer format and that is certainly an area that we're getting better and better in but um i, I love everything i do in my roles um as as now as a head scout and a head england scout and then previously as a selector it was uh, i'm very fortunate to work with great people and also be able to have an impact in the game that i love before I was involved in selection and scouting, I was uh, a coach for England 19s, did a bit at Northamptonshire as well. Um, And that's an area that I love, just being able to have an impact on, a positive impact on people's games and careers. Um, Through not just what I did as a batsman, as a technical and as, as a skill side of the game, but also my biggest asset was my head and the way my head worked and knowledge of the game, understanding what to do, when to do it and how to do it. And that's what I feel I can have a real impact in. Um, So it's not just the technical and skill side of it. I love the mental side of the game as well.
1: I guess, um, looking back at this incredible experience and with the fortitude you've come through it with and the strength of spirit you you've demonstrated, what do you think you've learned about yourself? What, what's, is there anything that surprised you? Um... Yeah,
0: this is a good one. Like it's, it's hard not to blow your own trumpet when you think it. Go for think it. About come on. it, No, 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 I, that, no, I, I won't, but it's, it's interesting because I love It sounds funny and this is very single-minded again and thinking about myself but i love learning about myself and and what i've and how i can do things better what i do well and and how i can uh be positive in an environment and i i'm and i i'm intrigued to know how i respond in certain situations as well and that's why as a cricketer i try to get so many experiences under my belt um, because you never know when you can learn in life. Now you never know when you can learn and who you can learn from and and what you can learn from and and that's that's what I do love. I it's probably the proudest thing I've done. I like I said in sport I achieved some things, but going through and being able to be pretty solid mentally going through what I've gone through that's probably the proudest thing I've I've done. Um, I've learned that i can be very honest and i know what i want and how i want to uh, get it done Um, and also it it just i know that i'm a far better person now i'm not i'm more present my wife loves it that she, don't get me wrong, she liked it when I was a professional sportsman, but she way prefers it that <laughs> I'm not now, because I'm present, I'm in the room. Um, I can focus on on her and what we're doing and planning. And Whereas before, I was just so focused on how to get better and what I needed to do. Um, I was definitely not present in the room with her on most occasions. So she loves it. and. We we live the I live a lot more rounded and more fil- fulfilled life I, having gone through all the experiences I've gone through I'm I'm a lot tougher like now I'll be a way better captain I was a decent captain technically um, like tactically as a cricketer but now with all the experiences that I've gone through like dealing with people understanding mm-hmm. like empathy and um, understanding people better through my own experiences I'll be I'm a far more rounded person. Uh, and and I love to try and help more now than I did before. I I did when I was a player, but now I, I'm in the room, I'm more present, I'm thinking more widely than I did before. I yeah, I've just learned so much um about life and me as a person and people around you and also what matters in life. Um and those things that really don't matter. And at the time, uh you think I I was thinking about it before. I was thinking like What you're doing at the moment, you think is a really big deal. But in the great scheme, in the big scheme of things, it means nothing to a lot of people. So when something's gone wrong, you think it's the the world's ended. But it really doesn't mean too much to most people in the world. Uh, But it's all relative. And that's what I did learn um, that the things are relative um, in life and just make the most of just make the most of what's going on in front of you. (laughs)
1: Thank <laughs> you. I love that. And I think you the, there are certain moments, aren't there, in life that bring real perspective and people who've been affected by um, ill health or uh, cardiac events, of which there are so many people every day. Right now, today, people are hearing diagnosis, they're in use. And all of those moments just kind of draw things about, as you described, what matters most into sharp perspective really, really quickly. So I guess thinking about others, um, as you clearly do a lot in your life, what advice would you give to someone who's getting a, a tough diagnosis at the moment or is had a similar th- experience to the one that you've gone through what advice would you give them
0: yeah I, I the one thing i did do when i got diagnosed very quickly one i learned through cricket i learned a lot of things through cricket and i transferred into my life now and yeah. i know playing cricket when you bottle things up things are the world's tough enough as it is you don't need to battle with yourself and so why one piece of advice is speak to people, be open. As soon as this happened, I took to social media, I I spoke to people, I helped people, I got people to help me because I was really honest. Be honest with people. It doesn't, be honest with your family. And if you don't want to be honest with your family, be honest with your best friend or that one person that you can trust and you can offload on. My one person was my wife. She she was my wife she was my best friend and she doubled up as my psychologist as well even though she she's (laughs) certainly not got a psychology degree but um, you need that person to offload on to that understands you and just to open up and be honest with so that's massive so that's number one number two is think about the things that you can do not what you can't because there are so many things in my life that I can't do however there's plenty of things that I can do and that's the, the positive just take the positive route there is Yes, things are all relative and your life is massive because it's your life and it's um, what you know, but there's always somebody worse off out there than yourself. And I thought about that as a cricketer that took pressure off me. But now, I mean, I lead a great life and I've had some serious unfortunate moments in my life, but there is always people worse off than yourselves. And I'm um, always be willing to learn from that challenge that's being thrown at you um, and and learn how to overcome it and be willing to accept that challenge. Yeah, you're going to have some down days, but be positive. Think about the things that you can't and just embrace the challenge and how you can learn from it.
1: Fantastic spirit and wise words and hats off to Mrs. Taylor, because she sounds like a <laughs> phenomenal woman, my goodness. So to come to perhaps your support for BHF for a moment. So we are, as I've said, incredibly privileged and proud to have you as an ambassador. And I know that you've you visited labs, you've helped with our Heart Hero Awards, you've done wonderful things for us. But tell me a little bit about what brought you to the British Heart Foundation. How did you decide to become an ambassador for us?
0: Um. Well, what, number one is because you guys do such again I'm going to talk about what I did before as a, as is when you're when you're healthy and you don't realize you you've got your blinkers on you don't look at the big wide world and the effect that certain things are having like you guys I, I will be honest I was so single-minded I was really healthy and until something bad happens you don't realize how much of a positive impact you guys have uh, and the research uh, the money that's raised to help families and save lives is unbelievable and i until i got involved i didn't know what that looked like or what it meant and then when you do dive into it a little bit deeper um the impacts that you guys are having on not a few hundred families like just the amount of people that you're having you're saving lives and having an impact and that's what I want to do in my life I want to help people and that's exactly what you you guys do you help so many people you benefit people you save lives you make lives better and and that's why I wanted to get involved Um, and and with such a great organization also it's not just what you do but it's also being involved with great people uh, that make a difference and that's why as soon as I got involved that's what Brought me to get involved even more because of the people that I was working with at the British Heart Foundation, and and again learning from experiencing different things from and hearing the stories of the amazing people that you've helped, um, and just like days like with uh, Graham Suna's uh, going into the labs, just fascinating, just to see how you really are having an impact at the sharp end as well. So that was brilliant, but also working, well, like I said, with the people at the sharp end and seeing and speaking to them what they're working on um, and like I said, how they're having an impact on people. So we we did a little bit in the labs, but also we went to see patients as well, um, which was really interesting and share stories with patients, speak to them, understand their story a little bit better. So even though I got diagnosed with ARVC, there are so many things it could have been, but because of the research that you guys are doing and the money uh, that people are raising to enable you to do this research, it allows them to do more studies, have greater knowledge on these areas that are just haven't been tapped into before. So these are the things that people don't realize their money is going towards to make a difference to so many lives. And ultimately the money that's been raised over the past has made a huge difference to my life. Just even the operation that I had to have a defibrillator inserted in my chest, the money that's been raised has allowed more knowledge to, to be there to help me. Uh, and this is purely me selfishly. I mean, I'm just a tiny, tiny little piece <laughs> and a massive jigsaw that you guys are really helping.
1: Well, thank you for saying that. And I think we're really proud as a BHF um, to have been able to support so much uh, research over 60 years. It's actually our 60th birthday this year, James. So we're...
0: Congratulations.
1: 60 years young, but celebrating just um, so many advances, whether it be around pacemakers and ICDs, like you've described, mm-hmm. or improvements in surgery, as well as treatments and care for people. It's just been a real privilege to have been part of that for so long. And we are as passionate about it today as we were in 1961 when we were founded because we know there's so much more to do it's still uh, a major killer globally and there is still so much that we can learn uh, to help save and improve lives so wonderful to to hear that that experience was good and you mentioned patients a lot so people clearly matter enormously to you it's uh, I can tell that where you get your energy from and inspiration from me too every day I'm inspired by people with heart circulatory disease and having lost a couple of loved ones myself and um, to mm. that's part of why I'm so proud to be part of the BHF um, team and why it matters so personally to me as well but tell me a bit more about people and um, you talked about the Heart Hero Awards which you were a judge on that must have been pretty inspiring to to hear some of our incredible supporters and patients just doing remarkable things.
0: Yeah so through my time with the British Heart Foundation you um, meet some incredibly inspirational people but one guy that stood out uh, that sadly passed away Jim Linsky he really touched my life so those awards that you're talking about I, I judged and I got to Meet Jim himself. Over the last few years of his life, he had an incredibly tough time, but just so positive, just willing to. This is what I'm talking about: willing to make the most of your situation, whether it's a bad situation right. or a good situation. Just make the most of it. And and if it wasn't for those awards, I would never have met him. And I've still got a photo of him and me downstairs on my kitchen wall. I oh, mean, fantastic. that shows what kind of an impact he had on me. Just these people that you meet through what you guys do and the great work that you guys do. It you have an impact on people's lives. You touch people's lives and you make their lives better and that's what it's about that's what I love being a part of but that's what you guys do firsthand so thank you for that as well uh for making that happen um you do that um times a thousand so it's brilliant
1: thank you so James I just want to ask you is there anything you wish that people understood about what it's like to live with a heart condition is there anything that you think other people should know more about
0: um I think just be respectful of people um do you know what I found really funny is, um, is when you, so I got diagnosed with heart I'd never had a bad heart, obviously until I was 26 or people knew of, but when they, my heart goes out to you, like it's like they're making a joke every time they said they're being nice, but it, I couldn't help it. inside. I'm laughing. Have you just heard what you said? You're trying to be lovely, but you've just brought the heart into it again. Um, But no, I I think just be, I think be respectful and even though for me, anybody that looks at me, I I imagine I look quite a normal guy, pretty small, but quite a normal guy. Um, The the fact that I've got to have heart surgery every seven years to replace a defibrillator that's inside me, that's like, I don't think about that too much because you could go down a dark hole if you did, but like people don't realize the knock on effects the day to day knock on effect and also the major knock on effects of having a serious heart condition and And this is a classic example, I wasn't going to talk about it, but the more research that's done and the more money that's raised for the British Heart Foundation means the more likely that that defib is going to have to be changed less often. I'm I'm not going to have to have heart surgery every 7 to 10 years because the batteries inside it will be that little bit better and last longer. So it can be every 15 years maybe that I have major heart surgery. Just little things that people don't think about but make a difference on people's lives and including mine.
1: And an important reason for us to keep powering that research, because as Mm. you said, all of the little steps add up to big differences and impact on people's life um, in a way that you've so kindly shared with us today. So James, I was going to say a massive thank you for both sharing your story so honestly, but just being so inspiring and um, sharing your journey, the impact it's had on you, what you've learned about yourself and the amazing family and support that you have around you, including your fantastic wife, but also for everything that you do for us as a British Heart Foundation ambassador. It makes a really big difference and I know that people will love hearing your story today. So thank you.
0: Thank you so much for having me and keep up the great work. It's it's a pleasure and honour to be an ambassador of the British Heart Foundation.
1: Thank you. The British Heart Foundation is celebrating 60 years of saving lives through pioneering research. Over the years, we have put over six million pounds into researching ARVC in order to better understand the causes and to help develop new methods of treatment and prevention. As we celebrate our 60th birthday, our eyes remain firmly fixed on the future and what we hope to achieve over the next 60 years. We want a cure for heart failure, better treatments for stroke, ways to prevent vascular dementia, and so much more. The BHF have been part of breakthroughs like heart transplants and pacemakers, stents and clot-busting drugs, and our goals for the decades ahead are even more ambitious. If you would like to fundraise in honour of the BHF 60th and be part of helping us continue to save lives, then please visit bhf.org.uk forward slash birthday. For more inspiring stories from our high-profile supporters and our patient community, please listen to and follow the Ticker Tapes on the BHF website or wherever you get your podcasts. And to everyone listening, thank you for joining us. I'm Charmaine Griffiths. Bye for now.
0: The stories, recollections and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of our special guest and not those of the BHF. If you, our listeners, have any health concerns, please seek advice from your GP or health professional. For more information about any of the conditions discussed in this
1: podcast, please visit BHF's website, bhf.org.uk.